0: All right. All right. So, um, how are you doing today, Zion? <laughs> oh, this <laughs> it's is really natural. It's been now. forever. They're so naturally up to this point. It was really natural. Yeah.
1: Before you, we're, just shouted it out. I don't know if you want to just shout it out. Oh, I need to shave. But Oh, that's true. I do Google need to shave. Need each other. I'm only seeing Liz from her neck up, so I have no idea what part of herself she's talking about. <laughs> I'm
0: talking about my legs. I need to shave my anything. legs. I mean...
1: It's winter, though.
0: I, it's just really... Oh, there. Are, um, I think it's because I shave, and I think, oh, it's fine. doesn't matter. Like, oh, there's no hair there. But every now and then, I get the right light, and I'm like, oh my god, there's hair. It is getting pretty long
1: doesn't matter. I'm oh, no,
0: it, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't stop me from doing anything in my life. But, um, it's funny. Just, like, when you see your hair, when you haven't seen it for a long time.
1: Yeah, it's kind of disconcerting.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, like, recently I've been getting hair on my boobs, on my breasts, and I'm like, What? Where did you come from?
1: You want this <laughs> on the podcast? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: Alright, we won't talk about that anymore I'm
1: just just thinking about you Oh,
0: me and my (laughs) breast? that's fine Or would you rather talk about vagina? See what I did there?
1: See what I did? I don't know what the most natural segue is
0: That was the most natural segue we could have possibly had
1: Well, yesterday I performed in the vagina monologues Woo! Uh, welcome to PhDivas. Divas, I'm Zion Yao. <laughs> this
0: is Liz Wayne, and if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to talk about the V.
1: Or the at least the vagina v. monologues.
0: Which includes the vagina monologue.
1: <laughs> but this is something that we actually really wanted to do together for um, Liz's last year, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Not because of our fault. We were both signed up on the Women's Resource Center list like their Facebook page, we're waiting for the call for auditions to come out Which always tend to happen waiting, At a certain waiting. time And it didn't happen And we're just like, wait, they don't realize that You could have such an amazing act with the two of us
0: We I mean, we would have destroyed it I'm positive I I have to admit I've seen So for those who are maybe aren't as familiar With this um, Eve Ensler um wrote or she she interviewed many women to talk about vagina. Yeah. And uh, I love saying that word. I mean yeah, that's another story. But anyway, so there's a monologue that she put together where she performed this, um, and it's called the vagina monologues. It's very successful. It's been done in many countries and she's done many tours and now um lots of college campuses will actually do vagina monologues. Um Performance often around valentine's day and co- communicating um information about women vagina and also violence so you'll often see like v-day performances that kind of encapsulate vagina and domestic violence or or talking yeah. whatever tying with some other rights and again they usually have it in february
1: yeah i was going to add that like so with the production that i was in all proceeds went to the advocacy center of tompkins county which uh Going to support their efforts in ending sexual violence mm-hmm. in all different forms. And I'm happy to say that I think the last tally that we got is that we sold over a thousand tickets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, awesome. the, yeah, and that's not including just like the cost, I guess, uh, the money that they probably also raised by selling vagina pops and a lot of those other sort of merchandise. I love merchandise. vagina pops. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, hopefully, I've... we raised a lot of money for the community.
0: I think so. So uh, before we go and talk about your performance design, I want to say that I, I've seen the show five, four times, and I've always wanted to be in the show. I'm really sad that we couldn't do it together. But um, I remember the first time I went, um, and they were selling vagina pops, and I didn't uh-huh. know what they were. And the other thing that was really crazy to me was there was this guy who was walking around in an outfit And when I first saw the outfit, I thought it was a hot dog. I thought, why is he wearing a big hot dog? Yeah, because he, like, there's his head and there's, like, two little, like, leaves. Or two little, like, I thought they were buns. Uh Right. I thought they were buns, though. And I thought he was just a big hot dog and he's just a human. And so it took me a while to, like, no, but those, they look like hot dog buns, but they're not. They're kind of wavy. And I was like, oh, my God, he is a six-foot walking vagina. Oh my god and then or he's walking weather, around but... selling yes he's the walking between the woman's legs region all <laughs> of that it was amazing because he had everything like all the little yeah I know I'm saying all the little flaps like that's not scientific at all um, I'm let's just say I'm channeling my freshman self which is like what yeah but yeah. anyway um, and I bought the the chocolate vaginas I got like um. I got a black one, a chocolate one, and a white chocolate one. And I remember going with my friends. And I, I took my boyfriend at the time, and we took our other friends. I think it's the funniest thing to watch, like, in a mixed group. But anyway, I'm going ahead. Um, the chocolate pops are awesome. It's a, a staple of the event, at least going to the event, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, so Liz went... In her undergrad, I actually only went to go see the vagina mugs last year, when I was bringing students um, in our residence to go see it. Oh my god! So, but yeah, I know it's sort of surprising, like.
0: And I've I been guess, four times. <laughs> I, know I know what's gonna I, happen.
1: <laughs> I know it's just like somehow it was like such a cultural object, but for whatever reason, like either I wasn't around it or wasn't as aware of it, or like it didn't seem a part of my sphere. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this almost feminist rite of passage in some way. That is because it becomes such a cultural monument.
0: Yeah, I I am... Um, I, I, Yeah, I could see it as a movement. I like it. I like going just to say that I did it, just to say, hey, it's okay, let's talk about this. And um, let's support it, let's have fun. And I do like to bring people who've never been before, just because I feel... My impression that people... Either you're in two groups, people who want to talk about it, but have never been in a sphere where they could say the word vagina and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or or even men who may feel like, oh, that's not something I'm supposed to talk about. It's like, well, fine, come with me if you don't always walk and get your own ticket and listen to their stories.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's so powerful and so important to bring it to as wide an audience. Um, that Just a discourse about uh, bodies in general, Mm -hmm. um, not just talking about the vagina monologues as a show, and it really struck me that I kept on hearing when, so one thing, reason why I also really wanted to do it was to do it with Liz, but also I really wanted to be with the kind of awesome students who would participate in this kind of thing, and so that was what was really enjoyable, like I was probably one of a, a few graduate students, but mostly with undergrads, Who might be majoring in feminism, gender, sexuality studies? Some people doing performance, but people from um, students from all different backgrounds. Are there any faculty? um, uh, I don't think so. Um, I think it's mostly like because it's all it's all student run. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, in the past,
1: there's been, but
0: the other performances I've been to had faculty in it, which is why I still have hope that I can participate in the vagina monologues.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends how they do it on whatever particular campus or area you are. Um, Like one thing that. I would be really interested in seeing with other performances that my understanding is that there's a lot of productions that have deviated from Eve Ensler's original uh-huh.
0: monologues. Yeah.
1: Um, like for example, she herself could has continued to develop them like she has added one about the uh, about tra- transgender women and the violence that they faced, uh-huh. which is what I've always seen perform well it was in the both the production that I did and the one I saw I didn't realize that it was only considered an optional one but a lot of other communities they people design and write their own monologues yeah. which I think would be really powerful to experience.
0: Yeah. So, what was it like um, going from watching the monologues to actually being a part of the monologues?
1: For me, it was a very powerful experience. Um, as our listeners know, this year I've been on the job market, which is a terrifying and overwhelming experience <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. But this is one of the things I decided to do this year, not just because this is my final year at Cornell, but because I wanted to do something to make myself brave. Like I've given papers before, mm-hmm. I've taught cl- my classes before, I've given lectures before, but I felt like it could p- push me to be confident in a new way and to develop and explore my confidence and self-expression in a new way. And yeah. to challenge myself really, as well as to connect with what an awesome um, group of under like feminist inclined undergrads would be like um like I've taught like a sexual politics class before so I got some of the exposure but to really be a part of that community I thought it'd be really exciting and it was it was awesome um really great group of people oh um, well, I'm so sad I didn't get to do it with oh, you no, get to get to, yeah do it at some point so, oh, so the, I don't know Liz if you know which monologue I did
0: no okay. I don't know it. I don't know which one you did which one did you do
1: so I did this one called. It's near the. It's in the first, I guess quarter. It's called the Vagina Happy Fact, where I talk uh, talking about the clitoris. Mhm. And so I have to say that when I first saw the Vagina Monologues, that um, monologue didn't particularly stand out for me. And like Olivia, our friend, uh, who went to go see it last year and saw this production this year, agrees. But I made it mine this year, and all the friends that you made your everyone, clitoris yours. Were- yes, and all my friends say that um, it actually was the one that got the most applause next to that one final orgasm domination. Yes. One that that's the out. one I want to do. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, personally, I would be comfortable with faking the different orgasms, but that's another conversation we could get into. But like, I that's always a crowd pleaser. But like, it. mine was apparently like the one that got the second most amount of, of applause. I've had, f- oh, man. I've had like, friends like Facebook messaging me, emailing me, texting me all day, being like, you're awesome, you commanded the stage. I have to just say, the, pers- the first thing who said I commanded the stage was from a friend who also studies performance studies, so I was mm-hmm. like, this really means something.
0: Awesome.
1: But, but like, the way I did it was, like, so the f- theme was, uh, the color theme was black and red, so I was wearing mm-hmm. this black leather dress and wearing my red beret with this literally mm-hmm. militant aspect. Uh, patent black leather gloves and a red scarf and I choreographed this whole thing where I was playing with a scarf and like using it as a whip as I was talking about it And, of that, course. and at the very last uh, before I say the final line which is um, why ha- why have a handgun when you could use a semi-automatic I take I, <laughs> I pause I take off my glove very slowly in front of the audience put my hand on my hip and then snap twice and then someone comes running out from the back gives me this little confetti gun and I shoot off the confetti gun with my final line. Blow off the tip and then walk off.
0: Oh awesome. Yeah is it recorded? Yeah. Oh you're making me sad.
1: It was awesome. I felt very powerful in that moment.
0: I can see that. I can see that. That's why, I mean, I think I go to feel that strength. I like talking about things because it makes me feel, like, more in control and more powerful in this way. And, um, yeah, I would love to go and perform that. Also, the first one, I've noticed that every every single performance I go to, the reason why I, I can keep going is because it's always different. The person mm-hmm. who performs it really sets the stage for how the monologue is done. Mm-hmm. And so every time I see it, it's always different because the person who's performing it changes how it even feels and how it goes.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I really enjoyed is that, like, because the Vagina Monologues brings in people with both performance and non performance backgrounds, we're really given an opportunity to workshop our pieces and decide, like, what we want to do creatively. It's not just up to a central director. But also, what I think is really important, probably, for any production of the Vagina Monologues, is like, it's really important to talk about what, what problems there are with the monologues, which... Oh, yeah? Oh, oh, yeah. Like, they're very much like a relic of a certain time. Like, like for example, some of them might have very outdated language, um, maybe outdated, like, racial racial politics even. Like, there's definitely, like, like, one of the monologues that a lot of people do have issues with, like, is that there's one about... Um, this woman's sexual awakening from an older woman who just mm-hmm. who's much older than her when she's young.
0: Oh, the water, the, the huge, like the wet one.
1: Uh, no, it's not the flood. Um, it's called the coochie Snorcher one. It's a yeah. uh, chronology of this um, woman, homeless woman who became homeless at one point about sexual abuse. And then she reclaims her her. Um, vagina because she meets this older woman who seduces her but then leaves her but then as you're listening Uh, to it like you could also notice like there's a something really uncomfortable about the age difference and the power dynamic that mm -hmm. we should question uh another example is like personally for me in the segment that I had about the clitoris I wanted to tweak some of the language because to try and be less potentially trans exclusionary because they talk about the clitoris as being part of a female versus male body and now that I think that um to use like the language right now of some LGBT politics, like we're now at this trans tipping moment, and now we know that like, like genitals are not gender, and like to do so to talk about it in such a way becomes very trans exclusionary, which is why the vagina monologues has been canceled at some places like Mount Holyoke, for example. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So I but I think what's really and also, for example, you may remember that uh, during the the monologue. The dominatrix, the lesbian dominatrix. They talk about different mm-hmm. orgasms, right? But like in the original, they have like different race orgasms yes. for different races. Yes. And we decided for our production, we did not want to do that.
0: Oh really? Okay.
1: Yeah. So we decided to yeah just.
0: So what did do instead?
1: Oh, there's a lot of different other ones. Like they experimented, like oh, then you hear your roommate walks in, and
0: he, oh, for example, what about like, the religious ones?
1: Uh, the, no, we didn't have that one. Like I think they just they managed to think of a lot of really other hilarious ones like oh like the, the little pug or yeah like uh, the, the kitty cat and the i forgot i have to study for a prelim like all these like really the things that managed to be like really funny and more improv and light but didn't end up relying on really broad stereotypes the way that i remember feeling inc- incredibly uncomfortable when they had like oh the african american moan or whatever yeah.
0: i had to Sorry, I was pausing because I know – that I, I think the last episode I said my parents listened to this. Oh. But um, <laughs> um, I don't – it's – I don't know. But – oh, okay. <laughs> um, I had a comment that about list. that. But, um, but I do – what I think is funny is when that skit happens and you're around all of your friends because – Nobody. Depending on what kind of like friend circle you are, some people don't actually talk about sex. Oh yeah. Right. It's like we're friends. We we talk about games. We talk about school. But we're all we all might as well be virgins, even though like you may have some knowledge that they are not. And it's the funniest thing trying to watch people keep a straight face and not laugh at that because you're around friends and you haven't actually had that conversation with mm-hmm. them yet. I think that's, that was really funny, especially when I was in undergrad. I think maybe yeah, I think... not so more when I watched it as a graduate student because... Well, yeah. But I, I think that's, it's very funny. And I think it's also a great thing to be able to update it, update the monologue and make it personal. Because mm-hmm. the stories themselves that she collected were personal to those people. And I, and I imagine that it's been distilled so much. I mean, that's the interesting thing because... Eve Ensler actually did the interviews, right? So she's the one who really has that firsthand, Mm -hmm. um, probably the truest version of that story. Or being able to tell that story, whereas now it's been not only like over 20 years, I think, but also retold through other people's eyes, and it's like a a third layer now.
1: Yeah, like you want it to be a living document, not just a particular moment. A moment in time, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a particular balance that you were talking about here between the particularity of the specific in, uh, interview she did with a specific women versus the type of universality and cultural power that this the vagina monologues now has as a particular force that might end up trying to universalize these very particular stories and then end up being exclusionary when it was meant to be inclusionary. Right. If that makes sense.
0: No, I, I I can understand that. I can understand that for sure. I think this might be a good time to talk about the not-so... So there are some jovial moments in the monologues, but there are also some very uncomfortable ones, even for me. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I don't like being sad. I, I think I have enough inspiration for sadness in my life, so when I go to see shows, I usually opt for light, happy ones. Um, but there are some uncomfortable moments in the monologues as well.
1: Like, yeah, do you, do you want to talk about like this? Of course, talking about female genital mutilation, talking about yeah sexual assault. Yes,
0: yeah, so there there are some sad stories in there, and um, and I found them very uncomfortable to watch, but necessary. Yes. You know, like that—that that was kind of how I viewed it. As in, like, I know that that stuff happens. I want to talk about it, but it has to be talked about to yeah. honor the other people who have experienced that and to be supportive and aware and to let their voices be heard. I think that was a really interesting moment to actually hear stories that you don't want to hear or that you would like to believe don't even happen.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it seems like every time that this play happens, like one thing you you see popping up on like websites like Overheard at Cornell and stuff like that is that it does make some people very uncomfortable mm-hmm. um i definitely heard a lot of anecdotes both about from uh the other cast members about like there's like cisgendered straight male friends usually who are like mm-hmm. oh i just don't feel comfortable about people when we talking about the vaginas and i was like dude i'm sure you have put the word vagina more than one time as a search term in the internet yeah. you know like it's such a silly sort of coyness like on the one hand like it could be acknowledged as a perhaps as like a sexual object or objects of desire briefly, but not as, like, a lived experience of... of yeah. As an actual body part, as a part of a person's, I don't know... Yeah. ...experience and identity and...
0: That's an interesting point to bring up, that the way my straight male friends have responded to hearing those uncomfortable moments, or like, it's really telling sometimes. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I think I've heard that they feel like, like they, I've noticed like afterwards they'll say like, you know, that's not me, right? I'm not like them. Like they have, they feel this need to kind of distance themselves from the people who are the passive, the perpetrators.
1: Because mm-hmm. I would say
0: that the monologue, it's not like they actually really talk about the men so much as the woman's experience of the actions against them. But they feel like they need to talk about it or say something.
1: Yeah. And I think like that's a, like one of the more positive responses although that that in itself is problematic because it of course uh, i think it's important that people see how like a wider system of gender oppression exists and that one can't just simply say like i'm not a part of it but you know realize that you have a part also in learning how to fight it Mm -hmm. like for example um after afterwards i I went out after we were all getting off stage, mm-hmm. and a young man came up to me from the class I'm teeing, and he's like, "You're awesome! I'm in the class you're teeing right now." Mm-hmm. And then he was like, he's talking to me about it. We also talked about anime because his shirt sure, had that anime thing. Yeah. And he mentioned like, "Oh, this maybe the show was awesome, but maybe a bit uncomfortable to be, to be a man, or like I feel ashamed or something." Was yeah. that his language? Yeah. And I was like, "Well, you shouldn't feel like that. That should that should actually encourage you to be a better feminist ally to women." as my thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's something parallel to a lot of our other conversations about allyship when we talk about other issues like race, that, like, I think that often a reaction when we talk about this ugly side of human society and, like, structural oppression and stuff like that, like, people who have privilege often feel guilty because... They see that they're how they're implicated. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to feel guilty because I think I want to start of described as guilt as a very blocking emotion and then it just becomes just about you as an individual. Yeah. But it has to it has to be a moment where you, instead of just becoming about you and be feeling guilty, see you, what your relationship is like to others and then feel a sense of responsibility and action and yeah. understanding like how do you work against it rather than just being like, Oh, I feel terrible now, what do I do? I just so terrible. Okay, mm-hmm. everything everyone has some sort of problematic past or we have privilege different ways. How do we work with it? How do we work with those who, who don't have that privilege? How can we work together to make it a better world? And if your only action,
0: if your only Uh action is to tell the oppressed person that you feel guilty about it. Yeah. You can actually save that. That's not helping yourself. And it's not helping.
1: Yeah. It ends up recentering the conversation around you when you're not the person who needs that like needs their voice heard at a particular time, often.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think that's an important uh, thing for us all to learn to uh, know as allies. I've seen a lot of good articles about talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also going to say that, like, I think that's one of the more positive re- uh, reactions. But I've definitely, there's also, yeah, as I said, like the other people who are just uncomfortable about hearing the word vagina whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I know because if you you really think about it. And I'm just going back to the first time I went to the show, it really made me think about how there's no other space where you get to just say it and where it's so woman it's so woman centered that um or yeah, i don't it's so woman centered that um I don't know if that's exclusionary or not, but it's not talking about penis at all. it's not talking about like. The male experience, and that's such, like the the cis male experience, is such a prominent staple in society, mm-hmm. right? Like you'll you'll go on TV and you'll always hear about penis jokes. penis jokes, always, always. But when do you really get to go like have a vagina joke? Mm-hmm. And so, or like when you're it for seems that,
1: like they're still marginal,
0: right? right? And for that two hour span, you're doing nothing but talking about periods and vagina and, and sex um, experiences, like growing up, um, puberty for the for, for women, and so that's really interesting to, to understand. You're talking about straight women and um, lesbians, and you're talking about now incorporating um, trans experiences, and so it's just like so not what you hear all the time that it can be refreshing and jarring at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, it's, on the one hand, even if we were talking about how much time has passed since uh, Eve Endler's original production, it's sort of sad how little has changed, that we still need, like, there's, I'm sure that some people might, like, say, like, oh, but why do you need just something dedicated just to women, or like, a women's resource center, or like, it's like mm-hmm. a certain sort, of, sort of argument you get about, like, why have a Black History Month, you know? Yeah. But it's like, at the same time, it's still so important that we have these spaces and these moments that are dedicated to focusing um, on specific issues because the wider culture hasn't changed, unfortunately. I guess one a criticism I'd also bring up about the vagina monologues, perhaps, at least in the iterations that I've seen it, is like, even though at the beginning there was this shout-out thing where we are like, we like, Asian-American women, Native American women, African-American women, like, nonetheless, like, none of, pretty much none of the monologues I could think of explicitly address race. So there's this, like, perhaps falsely falsely universalizing quality, at least about the monologues that I've seen, Mm -hmm. when of course we know that how gender is experienced by women of color is so different for various women of color, for example. Right. I can see that. And there's such a different history of how, like, Asian American women's sexuality is seen versus black women's sexuality, Mm -hmm. etc.
0: Yeah, I think a few of the characters are, are African American, but they don't really talk about what that means or how that's different and that's always why I found it interesting that the productions I've seen never really vary that far from Eve Ensler's first production because you have college age women um, and sometimes faculty giving these monologues but they're not actually talking about their own experiences so you're on a college campus and there's so many experiences That you could talk to that refer directly to the college campus and the college experience, but instead, you know, like they're just sticking straight to that monologue. Like they don't really create. I haven't seen ones that create. I know that other campuses do, Mm -hmm. but um, I think that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's something that I I would I'd love to see more of. As a although my understanding is like so when we were workshopping, say like what parts of the language we wanted to change, Mm -hmm. like. We were also given the sense that it's very, in order to be able to do the Vagina Monologues without having to pay the fee for doing it, like, you have to be fairly faithful to Eve Ensler's original.
0: Without paying a fee?
1: Well, like, that's actually a standard thing that whenever, like, even a high school puts on a production of a play, Mm -hmm. you pay royalties to the playwright. And so, like, uh, my understanding is that in order to do the Vagina Monologues without paying the fee... Like you always do it around Valentine's Day and make sure, and like, there's a bunch of stipulations, mm-hmm. and one of them is that you can't deviate too much from the source material. Yeah. So, which is, I think, I guess, is an interesting exploration in and of itself. Like, for me, I still wanted to change some of the language, but one thing that was interesting is you're saying, like, one monologue uses Burt Reynolds, who is incredibly outdated. Like, I think most of Our cast had no idea who he was, but as a sixth symbol from, like, I think the 70s. But, like, if it was updated, would it be able to resonate more? Yeah. Yeah. Or, for example, like, perhaps what would the difference be? Like, there's a really powerful monologue about um, sexual assaults, and I think the, I think it was the Bosnian Civil War. I don't it's, a, it's called, the monologue is called Village. It's really powerful and I think our production did a really amazing job. But it would be interesting to have another piece about sexual assault on campus because that's such a huge topic. Yeah. And perhaps even really volatile because at Cornell right now, actually, uh, the head of a, of a fraternity yes. is currently, um, I think, going to court or accused of sexual assault. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I so saw this. that in the news.
1: Because, mm-hmm. like, on the one hand the one talking about Bosnia and Serbia is really important in terms of, like, getting people to be aware of, like, outside of the confines of North America and what other people's experiences are like, but at the same time, like, perhaps at the same time, it ends up distancing it and making it seem like sexual violence is only something that happens, like, far away. But—or if you could have both of them, I think perhaps would be the ideal, like, showing how sexual violence comes into um, all societies in various forms
0: kinda odd that in order to not pay royalties you have to stick to the guidelines, like the original yeah. format. Cause, that's, that's, Cause that seems to to oh my gosh, English. That seems to suggest that if I did pay royalties I can do whatever I want.
1: I don't know. Yeah. Like again, like maybe don't quote me on this, but this is just something that our director mentioned when we were discussing mm-hmm. about like what things we could and could not change and like how do we deal with the, like, the datedness of it. Because mm. sure I wonder... a lot of performance studies people have done a lot of work on this, but yeah.
0: I've also wondered why people never just had their own spirit of the vagina monologues, but just did their own, like, monologues.
1: But, well, they do. That's like... I know, it, I've heard that prominently Berkeley, they do that. They write all their own monologues. Oh, okay. Interesting. But I guess I'm not quite sure then what the process is. That they get to go through in order to do and that. And I'm sure like you can't call, can call it the vagina, vagina monologues anymore. Yeah. Be like I think at Mount Holyoke, when they canceled it this past year, I think they said, decided to do a piece that they called like the student body where everyone just wrote their own pieces, okay. so inspired by the spirit of the vagina monologues.
0: Do you feel that you had a different voice as a graduate student?
1: Yes how I'm not sure if I can entirely articulate it um I believe in your articulation
0: skills
1: (laughs) like I will say that I mean I can't exactly speak to what extent did people even like did my cast members really know I was a graduate student if I didn't mention or not like some people I think did ask me if I was an undergrad but I think that personally I would not have had the confidence to do this as an undergrad so I really applaud all my colleagues in the play doing that because personally I don't think I was in a place of maturity and confidence to be able to do the work that they did on top of that I think because I came from I am in the place I am now like when we had discussions I was felt more confident to talk about the things I found problematic that maybe otherwise I wouldn't have like for example in my monologue um, I was concerned about like Talking about gun violence, like the gun violence aspect, because it's supposed to be really empowering that the clitoris mm-hmm. is like a semi-automatic as opposed to a, as to a handgun. Mm-hmm. But I was like, how can I undercut the v- potential violence of it, given that like gun control is such an issue, especially on campuses and so forth. So like for me, it was like doing the glitter gun was like a way of like making it silly and trying to like uh, like play against the la- the language, because I originally actually I tried to write an alternative version mm-hmm. to that line, like trying to do something like. Um, well, I have a sparkler when you can have fireworks or something like that, but then we weren't sure if we could change it that much.
0: Well, that's not even a lot.
1: Yeah, because I was trying to, like, can we get away from this, the imagery of the guns, but instead, like, the confetti gun, the glitter gun, became a way of trying to work within the original language. That's
0: so Canadian of you, trying to get rid of (laughs) of the guns. Do you not? Yeah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I agree. I, I can see that. Yeah, a PhD students do bring a lot to the campus community, a lot of maturity, a lot of... Um, you're in a different positions, so you're able to give more. And I think that's true of every level that people are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're building the community.
1: Like, I don't think that... I guess what I'm hesitant to say is like, It's not like I think I gave something necessarily different than my undergrad peers, but I know that I gave something differently than if I were personally an undergrad, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: I just want to acknowledge that one of our listeners, Carolyn, has also been a part of it a couple times. Mm -hmm. We were very jealous that you were in it last year when we weren't.
0: Yeah, we were. Actually, we were a little... I was a little shady because... You were announcing. We're
1: like, we're, we didn't hear about the auditions at all. Right. Huh?
0: So she was announcing that you know the Vagina Mugs are happening. We're like, what do you mean they're happening? Diane and I were supposed to be the sh- in it together. <laughs> I know. To be honest, I, I just wanted be. to dress sexy on stage.
1: <laughs> you could dress sexy anytime, Liz. I know. But, yeah, but in I really do want to be on people stage. In Hall.
0: I don't know what that says about me, but I just know that. That was that always seems super fun, but but and what I mean by sexy too is not like like I've seen people go for sexy on stage and they sometimes they look very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and because it's almost like they're doing what looks mainstream commercially sexy, mm-hmm. but not necessarily what's their sexy what they feel comfortable in. And I think being comfortable is, like, the most sexy thing you can be, like, be wearing. Yeah. In a way. So, like, so if fishnets and things like that make you feel you're comfortable in those, you'll look sexy in those. But if you are, like, really concerned and, like, you, like, you don't like the like fishnet, and I'm just using that as an example, like, you can kind of tell, you know, mm-hmm. and so... um. So, yeah, I've always just wanted to go like, yeah, oh, I'm wearing this. I'm comfortable. Hear me roar. I'm a woman. Like, give me a reason I can point at my vagina on stage. I just want to do that. (laughs) I don't know why. I just, (laughs) I don't walk around doing that daily. But that's why I like this platform, because I have an explicit reason to do it. And then when I can (laughs) leave, I can just be done. I feel powerful (laughs) and strong and affirmed.
1: (laughs) And I think perhaps something to add to that is like, as a woman who's an academic, it's like our gender is usually only intrudes in the most negative ways that we know. That, like, oh, do you have to worry about if you're going to get married? Are you going to have to worry about like what your fertility is if you're going to have children? Like, I think that as a woman academic, you're so used to thinking of your gender in negative terms about like what barriers there are that we're, we don't often have spaces to affirm, affirm and ourselves. Just be. So, yeah. yeah, like
0: my breast is supposed to exist on stage now.
1: Yeah, like we're so <laughs> often in the defensive mode, like in a battled position inherently. Yeah.
0: Well, I I love the show. I um. I I'm guessing the one if UNC had one, it's already done. But I will, I actually do want to next try year. to do it next year somehow. Figure out where it's going on, and maybe if I have time, even like start it myself. So.
1: Mm, wow, that'd be amazing. I would that'd be. be exhausting and a ton of work, but amazing. Yeah,
0: but I, I love those kind of things. It'd be like organizing the conference again.
1: <laughs> You're just addicted to being able to organize and be super competent, Liz, and running this whole community.
0: Well, when I ran the conference in 2012 for the under Conference for Undergraduate Women in Physics, and I did the Northeast Conference, and... It was amazing. It felt really good, um, and it went. It all went really well. There are things I would change, and there are lessons I learned from that. But yeah, I, I love doing it. And I was always, I was still doing all my research too. So it just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it fit in. I would wake up at six in the morning just to do stuff, but like mm-hmm. I was actually out of bed. So, and I wanted to be doing it. So. I mean, that's, like, the best thing to do when you want to do something.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Kind of like our podcast. It's not... Like, on the one hand, it's, like... I, I think I was talking I was talking to a friend about this today. Like, in a very cynical way, like, what we're doing here is unpaid labor. For those of you are listening, in case you're wondering, like, no one's paying us to do this. Everything that we had to buy came out of our own pockets. Sure. And, like, this time, arguably, is taking away time from our research for the things that we actually would get paid for and get to put in our CV yeah. in a tangible way. But this is still important for us this is well for me i could speak it's like this is very self-affirming friend affirming it helps to revitalize me and i think it does feed back into my work in ways that are not obvious or other parts of my life i mean
0: this is helpful for me when i feel sad or down or things are happening in my life and um, i just want to stop doing stuff and stop existing in a way and i start Working on the podcast, and I kind of feel a little more upbeat, and it's very helpful.
1: Yeah, because I feel like I have an obligation to you, <laughs> or like, oh, or, or like, oh, I get to have my weekly talking yeah. get to catch up with her, and we get to like chatter before and after we record, and about all yeah. these other things that. And I also think all. it's,
0: I think it's, I'm hoping it has a place for our listeners as well, and for the spirit of academia and having this interdisciplinary interdisciplinary conversation between the humanities and the STEM fields and just being PhDs. Yeah
1: Yeah, I would say that it's been so heartening to hear from friends like I want to just name Amber if you're listening Amber Vasquez she like tagged us um, in this Facebook conversation she was having where she said it was really important for her as a woman of color in academia and the humanities to to hear us so thanks Amber for your support. And a lot of other friends saying similar things. Or even some of my friends who aren't in academia. One of my high school friends um, actually commented to me that she just found it like really thought, thought-provoking to listen to us. And she listens to us while we're cooking. So, hey, Amanda. Hey. Yeah,
0: we, we love getting feedback. And we hope that we get more. So, before we close this set episode, we'd like to tell you about some exciting things that we're going to be up to. So, we're oh, yeah. doing... Uh, we're calling it our first live show. <laughs> um, so PhD Viz is going to be the keynote speaker at the Agency and Solidarity Conference at Cornell in March. Very excited about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I think if it goes well and if the audio works out, we'll probably even use it as an episode. So.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. It's going to be happening, I think, in Hollis E. Cornell Auditorium in Goldensmith Hall, but we will post more details on our Facebook page and through yeah, Twitter.
0: But we're going to be keynote speakers. Somebody likes hearing us, y'all. This is exciting. Um, and in April, we're also going to be doing in <laughs> more intimate sessions with Beta Onsat, so it's really awesome. We're going to be doing some guest podcast. Um,
1: oh, wait, to explain what Beta Onsat and- is for our listeners, um, it's this... Actually, this weekly one-credit course that happens in Hans Bader House on West Campus. And I think the title is actually, I think it's a philosophy class, and the title is actually like um, A Life Worth Living. Yeah. It's organized by Scott McDonald, and he's it, basically organized by bringing all these guest speakers to talk about different facets, not just to the professional, but like what does it mean to live a good life and think about living a good life and being a good person and a citizen of the world. So from philosophy, ethics, medicine, um, physics, like absolutely every area of life. But anyway, Scott has asked us to be guest speakers in April, so that's pretty and cool. And we will do so that. So those will be coming back. Yes.
0: I've, yeah, I'm coming back to Cornell, so i got to make my short list of who I'm going to see.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and we will have some guests on the podcast, some fellow PhD-vis, to spread the love, and we will also be on featured on some other podcasts. So we're looking forward to those. There is a website, blog in the making um zion's looking at me i'm working on that i'm going to show it to you okay
1: okay. um it's something we've been talking about but
0: and of course you can always find our work on itunes soundcloud twitter facebook and stitcher please 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 leave us a review if you like what we're doing itunes review um like us on facebook like our twitter page Anything you can do. um, We want to hear from you. We want to know that we're doing a good job, and this will help us make it even better.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry. One final thing I want to give for the Vagina Monologues. I think a really interesting essay to read about it um, was done by a friend of mine, Meredith Toulousen, who's the LGBT BuzzFeed editor. I think she's the first um, openly trans woman to work at BuzzFeed, but she wrote a whole personal essay about the experience of performing the Vagina Monologues, um, as she was transitioning, um, uh-huh. and I think it's really powerful. Yeah,
0: maybe we can put a link and, uh, to I that. Think, yeah,
1: Yeah, I think i think a link to it, because it's, I think, a really interesting and powerful piece, and I uh, think demonstrates how it's really important that our feminism be trans inclusionary.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so important. Like, she's a wonderful person, and I, I learn a lot by listening to her and being, I guess, around and able to absorb things. Um, because I find that I have a lot of questions or a lot, there are a lot of things I don't know and I'm afraid to even have a conversation because I don't want to say something that's offensive. But, so I appreciate Mm -hmm. how Meredith is willing to talk about things or or more implicit, more more specifically to write about things because this is how I get to answer, have those questions answered without actually, um making it her job to educate me if that makes any yeah.
1: sense yeah
0: so so I get to kind of learn things but not have to burden them with the fact that I just don't know
1: yeah and I think that similarly goes for so many other issues for yeah. like specific oppressions that you made yourself not participate in or privileges that you're not right. aware of like the sort of balance between like having to educate yourself but not putting the burden on someone yeah, else. Yeah,
0: that is actually what it means to educate yourself. So if someone wants to know mm-hmm. about racism or what Beyonce's talking about in her songs, there's so many think pieces. There's so many people who are doing podcasts and um, writing articles. There's scholarly things happening that you can actually find out if you want to know. Like, mm-hmm. it's not enough just to, to say, like, I feel bad about it and to feel guilty about it you got to go look it up because there's just no excuse yeah. in 2016 voices. with all of these outlets. And um, so I'm taking my own advice. And anyway, I appreciate <laughs> people like Meredith and she kind of, yeah, tell me things, but also direct me to other people who are doing things that she's doing. So other voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I
1: think, it was great I like we could talk about the Vagina Monologues forever but hopefully we'll leave it here and maybe if we revisit it in the future because Liz and I are in a production together which would be the most ideal okay. world
0: we hope that wherever you are you can get to go to Vagina Monologues and participate in one bring your friends and you know bring your God friends bring your um bring your male counterpart sometimes people want to go and just give an invitation like lower the
1: slippery energy it's like the vagina monologue so are in no way perfect. I'm not saying that, but I think the conversations it, it creates and the space it creates are so important. And so feel free to respond to it, critique it, like try to imagine what, what better versions would be for you, you, your community. Like take it as a stepping off point to so much else. Yep.
0: But have a good night. Nope. But. <laughs> It may not be nice for them. But again, this is the TNC Podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time. (laughs) Okay.